Welcome to Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and each week we bring you visits and conversations with people doing healing work for this world, hearing what they're doing and what inspires them and supports them in doing it. Welcome to Spirit in Action. Communication is, to some people at least, an academic issue. But the truth is that how we communicate with others makes all the difference between war and peace, connection or division, safety or danger, and the best guidance I have found to date for successful, helpful communication is under the letters NVC, Nonviolent Communication. I'm a beginner at the technique, but it has already brought radical, beneficial changes to some of my closest relationships, and I think it holds dramatic potential for you and for the whole world. That's why I invited Claire Bates to join us today for Spirit in Action. Claire is a worker for a better world in many ways, including her current work as a singer-musician, and one of the ways she works is through her passion for nonviolent communication. I spent a week in a workshop she co-led on nonviolent communication, and she has graciously agreed to join us today to share her knowledge about this invaluable tool for peace. So Claire Bates joins us by phone from Ann Arbor, Michigan. Claire, I'm truly excited to have you here today for Spirit in Action. Thanks, Mark. I'm really honored to be here. Thank you for thinking of me. What was it? Uh, 16 months ago, you traveled past Eau Claire on your way out to California. You did a loop there. You came back now to the Midwest. You've been in Michigan and uh, neighboring areas ever since. Could you remind me what you were doing out in California? What took you out there, I think, for a six-month stint? Yeah, actually, I was out there for the good part of a year, and I was learning from different people who are working on building peace in different ways out there. And I was applying what I learned to a project, developing some resources for connecting people who are impacted by war in various ways, who live in the U.S., in dialogue to work together for peace. So especially refugees and veterans, but also other community members who've been impacted by war. We're going to be talking about nonviolent communication. And in the workshop that I took from you, you called, I think, the workshop Compassionate Communication. The opposite of living in a compassionate world and being open in the way that I think that you were teaching us in the workshop and that the way that you're working to bring people into the world is to lead a life that's shut up, defended, not letting the world in. Was that ever you? Yeah. <laughs> Start out with the, starting out with the vulnerable questions here. Yeah. I think I have historically, before learning nonviolent communication, I felt a lot of fear about people as sort of a source of anger or judgment or rejection. And I think a lot of my mental resources went toward trying to hold that at bay. Nonviolent communication opened my eyes to noticing so much more of a rich landscape for what's going on for other people and myself. And it just really took down those barriers of protectiveness and allowed me to just see that communication is about joy and understanding each other. Communication, especially in conflict, is not necessarily something to be afraid of. It can be unpleasant. It can be hard. But the joy of understanding each other's internal landscapes and collaborating together over that can be worth it. So definitely has helped take me from a place of fear around communication to openness. 
I decided that it would be good to open up with some of your music since that's the vein of life that you're pursuing right now. And there's a song that you wrote that you recorded kind of a home recording, if you will, called Spiky Shell. And the reason I asked if, you know, that was you, the defended person, I was wondering if the message in this song was the Claire Bates that used to be. Actually, it's a response to noticing that sometimes the systems and social realities in our world aren't set up to be protective to human beings. There was a teenager I saw when I was out in California in a community that didn't have as many financial resources and was also a community where like the most common path for people was to become a farm worker. So it wasn't necessarily like a path where a lot of financial resources were going to be well met. And this teenager in this community was wearing a backpack with decorative spikes on the backpack. And that's what led me to write this song. And the song is by Claire Bates, my guest today for Spirit in Action. It's called Spiky Shell. You gotta make peace with the running blues. You gotta have some running shoes and make your peace with the running blues. You gotta have some running shoes to live these days. Cause you gotta use that child at home. You gotta carry it. Carry it all alone. You gotta use that shell as a home to live these days. Cause you gotta have a spiky shell. You gotta have one. You gotta wear it well. You gotta have a spiky shell. You gotta have one and wear it well. You gotta have a spiky shell to live these days. You gotta have a spiky shell to live these days. As you noticed, folks, that song by Claire Bates called Spiky Shell includes birds in the environment. I think that, Claire, when you recorded it, you were in the Grand Hotel Garden on Mackinac Island in Upper Michigan. Is that where you were? And why were you doing it there? 
Well, for one thing, it's just a very pretty place to record, and it was a place that I found some solitude while I was living and working on Mackinac Island for about six months. But I also recorded a series of songs meant to say something about inequality in the world, and that was one of them. And the Grand Hotel is a very luxurious hotel. It costs many hundreds of dollars per person to stay there every night, and so I wanted to say something about wanting everyone's needs to be met, especially those basic physical needs in that series of songs. Well, the topic for today is nonviolent communication, also sometimes called compassionate communication. I'm afraid that there's much more of the world right now who thinks that the kind of life you're talking about in spiky shell is what is the norm, should be the norm. It's just like, get real, folks. Matter of fact, I was having a conversation last night with some people from Egypt, and I was talking about a Quaker view of the world and how we need a lot less violence and we don't need violence to achieve our objectives. A lot of people would call that a pipe dream because obviously you have to keep a stiff upper lip and you have to carry a big stick even if you speak softly and and so on. Has your view always been that this nonviolent communication thing was where you wanted to head? I kind of immediately took it and grabbed it and ran with it once I knew of it, which was in 2013. But I think my approach to conflict was more to typically avoid it before that. But it wasn't that I wanted to run into conflict and take it on in a violent stance either. I think I had seen enough violence both personally and in the world to want to not contribute to it. But I I think to the heart of what you were talking about, there's this important question about as Quakers especially, you know, are we being unrealistic to aim for nonviolence? And I, I mean, I think it's just a question of kind of living what you want to see in the world. Sometimes there's this question about if everyone started using NBC nonviolent communication right now or if, you know, even a quarter of the world started using it, would that actually solve all the world's problems? I don't know. I mean, I think for me it's just living into the gentleness that I would like to see in the world and trusting that we each have a ripple effect. That's what it comes down to for me in choosing nonviolent communication as a way of life. I first took a nonviolent communication week-long thing at the Friends General Conference gathering. I think it was 2014. In that experience of that workshop, when I came back the week following that, I was very focused on using it in my communications with my wife. And there was a miraculous transformation that happened. And mind you, she and I had both been through a number of kind of group couple process, communication. We're both thoughtful and caring people, and we try and express that in our relationships. But there are still sticking points. And when I came back for that following months following it, I made her cry a number of times, not with sadness, but with relief of not having a certain struggle going on that had always been there. And it does come back because it's hard for me to remember to do it nonviolently, truly, even though I try and do it considerately. Considerate and nonviolently, what's taught through NVC is a big step forward. So I want to testify that in myself, in my relationship, that when I started using NVC, it made a world of difference. And that's in addition to all of the good help and couples process and everything that my wife had been using before. So I was converted, and then a year and a half ago at the Friends General Conference gathering, you were co-leading a workshop. So could you talk a little bit about your decision to offer that workshop 
what you offered and what you hope to achieve, of course. In choosing to provide some basic training in nonviolent communication at a Quaker gathering, I'm trying to honor the fact that I think a lot of Quakers are coming from a place of a lot of compassion and then just sometimes having sort of the technology, but not in a gadgety sense, the verbal technology to try different approaches to verbalizing that, and especially in the context of differing opinions, which may sometimes be differing political opinions with people we know, trying to be able to still see each other eye to eye and also to be able to communicate in ways that help us do that. So that was really my intent. And also, I was bringing in Thea Torek, a friend who was really enjoying learning nonviolent communication and hadn't had a chance to try teaching it yet. And so we were both enjoying doing that together. Let's try and give the listeners some kind of a opportunity to understand what nonviolent communication actually does changes, what the effect of using it is. Could you give some of our listeners a vision of what it might be? Yeah. So I want to say that nonviolent communication is basically a needs-focused approach to viewing the world and speaking about it. So we're taking the specific situations that we encounter or the specific opinions that are being expressed by ourselves or others, and we're trying to pare them down to something that seems like it might be more universal. So if you're having a fight with your neighbor about something that relates to your yards or your neighborhood, you might start by trying to understand for yourself what that means to you. Like, why does it matter so much to you? What do you value that is represented to you in this situation? And and just continuing to reflect on that yourself until you have some sense of easing inside yourself because you've identified something that you really care about. Oftentimes in a given situation, we do care about the thing that's going on in the specific situation, but there's also a bigger value for us that's going on. And so in nonviolent communication, we're teaching ourselves to reflect on that for ourselves and then also trying to be open to hearing that in others' lives as well so that we can get more closely in touch with them. I'd say that's really the heart of this method of communication. Could you give me a specific example? Could you show how this actually works? Because a lot of people say, well, yeah, we can talk nice and in this situation it'll maybe work fine, in this situation it won't. Because a lot of people, I think they believe that other people are jerks. Well, first I want to talk about jerks, and then I can give you another example. (laughs) So, Mark, you asked me, as we thought about this interview, you asked me to think about an exercise that the listeners might want to take part in. And one thing that I've thought about is something called translating our jackals. Jackals in nonviolent communication is just a term used to refer to the voices that come up, either inside ourselves or perhaps things that others say, that are are just phrased in a way that's kind of hard to hear without feeling some hurt. So when something comes up in us that says, that person's just a jerk, you know, if we actually verbalize that, they would probably be feeling some hurt around it. So that's jackal language. Or if somebody else, if somebody says something to us where they say, you know, you're just a a nasty, self-centered person. Okay, that's jackal language. The point in NBC is not to call other people out on that jackal language. It's to work within ourselves. The exercise that I'd like to introduce today is translating our jackals. So if we were to have this thought, this statement come up within ourselves that so-and-so is a jerk, We can ask ourselves, what does that mean that I'm longing for? What is it that I'm wishing there were more of in the world? And I think maybe if if I were saying someone's a jerk, I think I might be wishing that there were more compassion in the world. Like maybe having them act the way that they did brought up for me how frustrated I am that the world doesn't have as much gentleness as I want. Or I'm just really wanting there to be more consideration for all people. And that's why the word jerk popped into my head. Or 
maybe if we say, like, so-and-so is just being so uptight, maybe it means that our need for freedom is involved in the situation. So we're really triggered about that, and we're feeling that especially strongly in the moment. So as an exercise for people listening, if you wanted to, you could think about a, a sort of judgment or jackal language phrase that's come up in your head about someone recently, and then tune into your own needs, trying to see what you might be needing just in a larger life sense that was brought up by that situation and, and that you might see is reflected in whatever name you felt like you wanted to call them. And that way we're not just pushing away the judgments that come up inside us about other people because they're going to arise and they're going to be there, but we're working with them to see what we really care about. I'm wondering if you could go to a concrete example, Claire. As you said before, and early on, you said you didn't grow up doing nonviolent communication. Your alternative was to do something very different than communicate in this special way that I think offers a way forward where often we feel like the door is closed. It's probably made a big difference concretely in your life. And I'm wondering if you can talk about concrete examples, again, either that you, Claire Bates, participated in or that you witnessed? The one that's in my head right now is really recent. So I have been, as a musician, I've been performing some house concerts. And while I'm here in Michigan, my dad hosted a house concert. We collaborated over putting the gathering together, and it was a lot of detail. So what kind of plates are we going to use? How much time do we each need to put into working together on it in advance rather than the day of the gathering? You know, what do we want to say to people that we're inviting about this or that? And we found that our opinions clashed very frequently. And for us, as often happens in close relationships, especially I think when there was disagreement, the fact of the disagreement also could trigger some emotions to come up for each of us. What we thought it meant that the other person was disagreeing with us. And We were able to listen to each other, so some of our values came through. I realized through asking questions, I realized how much my dad really wants to extend this sense of just like joy and generosity and welcome to each guest that came and how he had different ideas about how to express that, but that was really one of the values that was the most in the fore. And I think that through listening to me, he came to understand that I had some concerns around simplicity and equality and concerns that maybe radiated out to like the bigger world situation. So what kind of how we approached this party then ramified in my head on issues of social equality. And the the cool thing was that we really heard each other. By the time we did it, we were both finding ways to express the values each other had shared as important through the party. And I could see his in action, and I just felt so much celebration at that seeing each other because it could have been a different way. And it took hard work over the week or two in advance. So that's that's a concrete example. People are going to have the question right away, is nonviolent communication only for those particularly close to you? Is it for the person of the other political party of a very different point of view? Is it for the person that you're encountering on the highway who's expressing road rage? Does nonviolent communication apply everywhere, or is it only for a narrow slice of our interactions? Well, I like to use it everywhere. One of the things that I've been feeling challenged about in the past few years and trying to understand is how do we use nonviolent communication to try to make changes in larger political and social arenas, so not just our interpersonal relationships. One time I had some people I know and myself try an exercise where we made political protest signs using NVC in its more textbook forms, and that was an interesting try. But I also think just like the political conversations that you can have with people can be imbued with NBC. For me, the songs that I write 
I'm not usually being explicit in my use of nonviolent communication, which if you start looking into it and getting training, there are these four elements of observations, feelings, needs, and requests that often come up in nonviolent communication. Those are really useful elements to use and understand, and they don't always all need to be said at once. Sometimes you can just be reflecting on them and choosing to say some pieces. So when I write songs, which are sometimes politically motivated, I'm often using some of those pieces from nonviolent communication. Uh, yeah, I think I also, in answer to your question about where to use it and with whom, I want to kind of address this issue that some nonviolent communication trainers call it, what do they say, street giraffe is a, a terminology that goes around. Giraffe is like the opposite of jackal communication in nonviolent communication. It just means expressing yourself from the heart with compassion. So street giraffe then means like how do you take nonviolent communication out into contexts where it feels like not the norm and maybe it feels kind of clunky. Well, what I'd like to do, folks, is go through a kind of a, a super sped up primer of how to do nonviolent communication with Claire Bates. But the first thing I'm going to do is to remind you, you are listening to Spirit in Action, a Northern Spirit Radio production on the web, Northern Spirit radio.org that's three words Norton spirit radio.org on that site you've got more than 14 years of our programs for free listening and download you can find the stations where we're broadcast you can find connections to our guests so for instance if you come to Norton spirit radio.org to listen to this interview with Claire Bates you'll find a link to the Center for nonviolent communication which is CNVC nonviolent communication NV preceded by the letter C, dot org. But there's those kind of links and resources everywhere on our site. There's a place to post comments, and we really do prefer two-way communication. Not surprising when I'm such a supporter of nonviolent communication as well. It's so important to hear one another, and I need to hear you as well as I hope you finding something of value in what I have to say. So please post a comment, rate the programs when you come, and there's also a donate button. It's full-time work, and it's supported by you, the listeners, not by the government, not by corporations, but you help us out. And before you support us, I ask that you first support your local community radio station. They're bringing you this program. There's some 40 of them across the nation carrying our programs. And we'd like to see you start supporting them first with your hands, with your wallet. And then if you have something left over, please help out Northern Spirit Radio. Again, we're speaking with Claire Bates right now. She's sitting in Ann Arbor, Michigan. She's traveled a fair amount over the last two years in pursuit of bringing value to the world in peace. And specifically, she helped me a year and a half ago in a workshop that I took at a Friends General Conference gathering on compassionate communication, which is kind of a short form for nonviolent communication. By the way, would you comment about that difference between compassionate communication and nonviolent communication? They're just different terminology. Sometimes people choose to refer to it as compassionate communication just because it feels a little more broadly applicable. Sometimes if somebody might hear the phrase nonviolent communication, they might only perceive violent communication as being something where you're yelling at somebody or you're really, really wound up and attacking in one way or another. And even if that's not where you're coming from, this could still be a useful method for you to try on for size. So I think when people say compassionate communication, it's just leaving the door open more broadly. Where you think your current approach to communicating is violent or not, this could be relevant. Right. And there's a lot of communication that we do. We're not even aware of the violence. 
Actually, my wife used to refer to something that happened with her parents, and her parents were sweet, wonderful people in so many ways. So people should not get the idea that they were in some way particularly harsh, because they weren't. But her husband, her first husband, noted that after they had been down visiting her family, they'd come back home, he noted that she felt beat up, and yet she hadn't seen it. He described the way that they communicated, which had its hidden violence, as using a velvet hammer. So that velvet hammer, she was receiving blows, but she didn't even see where they were coming from because they were delivered with this velvet externality of them. So violence is bigger than what we think. And it isn't till we look deep enough within ourselves that I think we know how to address the violence that we're participating in. I'm wondering, Claire, if now would be an okay time to have you take me as if I'm your student and then hopefully our listeners as well and give us a little primer on nonviolent communication. You've just walked into the room. You've told us a few things about what nonviolent communication is, and we want to learn it. So what do you do with us? Okay. Well, first we're going to take a look at what is often referred to in nonviolent communication as universal human needs. And there can be some conversation about which needs are actually universal. Are all these needs actually universal? But this is just a gesture in the direction of understanding some needs that we might share throughout our different backgrounds. So sometimes I will have students help me come up with some ideas of things that they might like. So Mark, what might you like to see more of in the world? I'd like to see people greeting one another, even strangers, more often. Mm-hmm. And I would like to see people listening to each other more fully. So maybe Mark might be talking about he's wanting a world with more welcome, and maybe I'm talking about wanting a world with more understanding. So we might start to see those as some universal human needs. If you go to the Center for Nonviolent Communication website, cnvc.org, they have a universal needs list and a feelings list. The reason that I like to start students there with the idea of thinking about universal needs is that's really the direction that we're trying to head with NBC. We're really trying to head in a direction of more people's needs getting met more of the time. And so the more we can create and generate that openness to listening and thinking about those needs, the more that awareness is there for us and the more we can work on it. So that's where I really like to start people. There are, as I mentioned earlier, some frameworks for sort of examining a situation and thinking and speaking in NBC. Sometimes that's referred to as OFNR, O-F-N-R. So O is for observation, which means something really concrete that we're noticing in the situation. It's helpful to make sure that that's different than a judgment. So instead of saying, she always tries to pressure me into something, we might be saying, I noticed that she sighed when I said, I love you. So something really concrete that we notice, that's observation. Then there's feeling, so really sensing into our system what emotion is going on for us in a given moment, being able to express that if we want to, and then needs, which is the same as that universal needs list I was first talking about. Finally, requests is just being able to ask something from someone else that would help us make our life better, or maybe being open to hearing a request from them and trying to listen to it from a needs standpoint. So there's oftener that sort of set framework for thinking about MVC. Sometimes it's like it's one of those frameworks, it's useful to know it and it's useful to lose it too. Like it's useful to be able to think from within it, but not hold on to it too rigidly so that you can actually just open yourself to presence with others and not be too cognitively busy at the same time. And we should probably mention that if we weren't doing this super sped up version of this, 
at each level of this, observation, feelings, needs, requests, there's a number of activities we can do that help us be clear about them in others, in ourselves, and how they interact to make for communication that is either violent or nonviolent. Yeah, and that can be really eye-opening and system-opening to us within ourselves to try that on and feel into those activities. I'm glad you said that. Could I request, Claire, is, I don't know if this is easy or accessible for you right away, but you pointed out that many times our observations are not observations, they're judgments. Yeah. Is there an exercise that you could walk me through to help me be clearer on what that difference is? Well, I think the thing that comes up for me in thinking about that is that often an observation that's actually a judgment tells us something about our feelings and needs. In NVC, we also practice being empathetic listeners. So, Mark, would you be willing to share an observation with me that's actually a judgment and maybe I could just empathetically listen for some of your feelings and needs? A week ago, Sandra was leaving for part of the weekend to go take care of some of our grandkids in another city. We went for a walk. And the entire time she was stonewalling, not talking to me, she was... So I'll pause you right there, actually. So Mark's talking to me and Mark's saying that Sandra was stonewalling him. So I'm just wanting to listen for his feelings and needs. So I guess I'm wondering, Mark, if you were feeling lonely and if you were really wanting to be seen and heard. Does that sound true for you? Yes. I was actually fearing that she's going to be away and she's so precious to me that it was a perfect time to talk and here she was not communicating. So the feeling that came up for me was, don't you care about me? Don't you see me? Yeah, you were really wanting some, it would have meant something deeply to you to feel some expression of care and affection from her at the time is when I'm hearing you were wanting some reassurance that you matter to her, maybe. Yes, that's exactly it. So now I'm going to kind of talk a little bit more to the listeners as well. It's like Mark was maybe not in a place to even be able to get his observation into something that was strictly an observation, like I said things and Sandra didn't respond. That might be maybe a, a more concrete observation than saying she was stonewalling. But I think sometimes needing some empathy, needing some caring experience of being heard from someone about our feelings and needs, like I was just attempting to give to Mark, that can help us to get away from those observations that actually have judgment in them. So I'm hearing that Mark was needing some connection and care and reassurance and was hoping that he could get that from Sandra. So if he goes to speak to her about it, Maybe he can use an observation that's more concrete than what he just used with me. Maybe he could say to her, I felt concerned when I said these things and you didn't say anything back. (laughs) Which, in fact, is what I did after we had finished our walk. I did say to her, I'm feeling tender about you going to be away. And I would say that, you know, while we walked about 95% of the time, you said nothing, whereas usually we'd be talking. So that observation I did make, and then I told her how I was feeling about it. So instead of doing the value-laden one, I did do something Mm -hmm. that was more factually based and then talked about the facts of my feelings underneath that. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, Mark, would you like me to explain a little bit about why that can be useful to stay out of sort of that judgment-laden observation place? Of course, of course. And we all know it, of course. (laughs) You'll explain it, but we all know that when someone hits us with a judgment, (laughs) I know what my reaction is. What's your reaction? 
my reaction is, how dare you put that on me? How much you, you're saying I'm a bad person. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there sort of starts this internal spin about like, oh, maybe that judgment is true. And I'll, potentially that starts up. And also this external spin about like, what does it mean to them that they said that to me? So if, if what Mark was really wanting in that situation is some reassurance and care, if that's what would really need his needs before they're out of town from each other, then to bring up something that triggers everyone's vulnerabilities by saying you're stonewalling me and saying it in a judging manner, you know, who, who is anyone going to wind up feeling that care and comfort that you were hoping would happen? So it, it sounds like you managed to express it in a way that was truthful to your experience, not necessarily judging her behavior and hopefully helped you get your needs for connection met. That is how it worked. I mean, she had her own needs and everything going on. So, I mean, that's why she was doing what she was doing. But actually, and this is part of my experience of nonviolent communication, if I'm only looking at her and what she's doing wrong, which is a pretty convenient thing to do if we don't like feeling bad about ourselves, by putting it all on her, that's convenient for me in in some way. But as soon as I start looking at myself, I actually have considerable power to do something about how I'm feeling and what I'm thinking. So why don't you go on with the tutorial? Okay. I mean, so if, so this thing, pretending this is our mini, perhaps we're having a five session class on this, but condensed down very small. I would also say it's pretty worthwhile to explore anger as an emotion that comes up and what's actually underneath the anger. NVC teaches that underneath anger, there's often some fear about not getting our needs met or sadness at times that we or others have experienced not getting our needs met. And then that can really point us toward our goal. Like what is it that we're trying to actually work toward that we're sad about at this point, you know, or we're, or we're fearful about. So digging into anger and then also just practicing making requests in ways that can sometimes feel vulnerable, but are that give reference to our hearts and what we're really longing for in life. So those are a few elements of what can be explored, but there's a lot more as well. Again, the letters are O, F, N, and R, Observation, Feelings, Needs, Requests. When I first started talking about this with Sandra, When she was trying to do it, she had a particularly hard time identifying needs, and I think that's not unusual. I recall, you know, 25 years ago, before we got married, we used to have long protracted, you might call them discussions, you might call them arguments, and my part in them, and, and that's the one that's most important for me to address, was I would address her by saying, well, no, this is just right or wrong. You agreed to do this. You didn't show up and you're wrong. You know, you should admit that. That's what I I would get in that kind of thing. And we sometimes refer to it between us as me going into debate mode. So to some degree, I'm doing some kind of observation. But the thing that I was carefully avoiding and which left me powerless to deal with my needs was... I I knew the feelings I was having, but the needs underneath them. As soon as I started saying what my feelings were and what the needs were underneath them, all of a sudden both she and I had considerable more leverage in terms of me not dumping on her, as I perceive that I did frequently. Anyway, this idea of these universal needs, there must be some exercise you do that helps people get an idea of what a need is because quite often people think, well, I need you to be quiet or I need you to take care of me or something like that. And that's not really the kind of need we're talking about. 
Yeah, I mean, I like for people to learn to sort of sift through the levels. If the thing that you're really wanting to have happen, that you're having conflict with someone else about where to happen, what would it mean for you? You know, what would it do for you? So if said person that you're wishing would be quiet, like if they did, what would that mean for you? Like maybe it would mean you could rest and you're feeling really tense and anxious about a lot of things. So then we recognize that your bigger need is just to be able to rest and replenish yourself and maybe you're feeling worried about it. I do like for all of us to have a chance to look at a list of universal human needs. Again, I said we could kind of speculate over whether they're all exactly universal across cultures, but it's it's a gesture in that direction. And there are some on the CNBC website. And for me, it was really helpful. I hung a list of universal human needs on my refrigerator door for two years and gradually they sunk their way into my consciousness. So I would open the fridge door to get something and I would read compassion. Compassion is a universal human need. I'd open it and I'd see playfulness. Okay. How much do you think about a need for playfulness? Or like I'd look and see there's a need for competence or learning or growth. And so those things just sort of gradually found their way into my awareness as ways that I might understand myself or other people. So it was a gradual learning process. But it's also, for me, it's kind of fun to think about those needs and what an array there is. So looking at a needs list and looking at the different categories, some of them are related to independence, and there might be there's um, often like a, a sublist under that. Some of them are related to interrelatedness. Some of them are related to meaning. So looking at a long list of those needs, something that I found to be kind of fun is to do an exercise with a group of people and to say, pick a need, pick a word from this list, that stands out to you, maybe because you haven't thought of it as a human need before, or maybe because you know so much that it's on your mind and heart right now that it's really what you're wanting. So each person picks one, and then they're given a small square of paper and asked to describe in some way, whether by drawing or writing words, what does it feel like to have that need met? So let's say the need is a need for celebration. NBC teaches that that actually is a human need. They need to be able to celebrate what, you know, what we love and what's happened that's good for us. So I might draw a picture about what does it feel like in my body when that need for celebration is met. And so if I'm in a group with 10 or 12 or 15 people and each person is exploring on a square of paper what, you know, they each pick a different need and they describe what it feels like to have it met. And then we share that with the group either by hanging it on the wall or talking about it. Suddenly we've all got more of a sense within our systems of what does it actually mean to have needs, like needs for collaboration or integrity your joy, what does it actually feel like in us to have those needs met? And that's where we're really aiming for with nonviolent communication. It's it's a moving toward what we want in the world kind of approach. So that is an exercise related to universal needs. One of the things that was eye-opening for me, Claire, as I end up talking about these needs is usually when we talk about need, we go directly to here's the strategy for getting that need met. Mm-hmm. That I found was self-defeating. I learned that it was self-defeating. Could you talk a little bit about the difference between what a universal need is and what we usually substitute in place of that need? As I said, you know, I need you to be quiet, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you bring that up, it reminds me of a couple of things. One of them is just sort of having compassion with ourselves when our needs go unmet. So if I notice that there's something in my life that's bothering me and that it has to do with my need for rest. Like maybe it's that somebody in my life is talking a lot and it's, you know, as as you just sort of said, you're wishing they'd be quiet and it's not meeting a need for rest. So sometimes people in nonviolent communication circles might say a need is really up 
for them. Like that need is just above all the rest. It's it's so pressing right now, the hope that you'll get that need met. So we notice the need for rest is really up for us. And sometimes once you notice that or once I notice that, there's some compassion that can happen of recognizing for myself how hard it is that that need is going under met right now in my life. And just kind of gently being with that and observing here, for me, some Buddhist principles come in around sort of a gentle noticing being a, an appropriate way to begin trying to change things. Like sometimes we charge right in and we say, okay, it's really bad that I don't have enough rest. I need to make a plan right now. That's okay, but sometimes there's reasons that that plan isn't working and isn't in place yet, and they might kind of spring up and defeat your plans. An appropriate place to start or a helpful place to start might be to just kind of notice that need for rest and see what ideas come up or see in what conversations you might be able to authentically express to others in your world, gosh, I'm just so tired, I'm just so exhausted, and I can't quite figure out how to meet my need for rest. So just kind of holding that need gently for a while in your awareness that something that's not met as fully as you want in your life some opportunities to meet it or to request others to help you meet it might appear. I think your, your question was about the difference between strategy and holding onto a particular strategy versus an underlying need. So I think I kind of addressed that. So when people do understand the difference between their need and the strategy for getting a need met, when they understand that those are really two different things or they can be two different things, what I found in myself and which I what I think will happen for other people is, all of a sudden, many more options start appearing. Whereas before, if you know, my option is for you to be quiet and stop talking, maybe one of my options is to leave, or one of my options mm-hmm. uh, is to, in some other way, tune in, tune away from that person who's speaking, or to simply, you know, one of the options might be to make a request, uh, could we watch this movie together? That would meet my need to not have you speaking and have some... I mean, there's any number of options, but oftentimes we focus on one thing that we think is going to deal with the issue, which is, you know, like, you know, you have to shut up right now. Often those kind of knee-jerk things do not produce good results. Don't get our needs met. I'm thinking about the difference between a demand and a request. So in nonviolent communication, a demand is something where we're expressing this is the only way that it can happen. I'm not okay with any other way that this happens. And a request is a more heart-in-touch approach of saying, like, here's why this matters to me. I'm really, really wishing we could do it differently here. So even being able to say... I really, really want you to be quiet because I'm so, so tired. You know, like that's still in touch with my needs and why I'm asking. So it's not it's not blaming. It's a little different than a demand. Something else you talked about, the word I would put on it is being resourced, like having a sense that you have all these options to meet your needs can be really great. That can be a really great experience that comes out of noticing what your needs are. Sometimes when people have talked about this, I can't remember if anybody gave me this image or if this is just the image that I have, being resourced to meet your needs in a variety of different ways is like opening up a refrigerator and noticing there's lots of different things you can cook with. Whereas sometimes we open up a refrigerator and there's not. We're hoping we can go grocery shopping soon, hoping we have the money to take care of it. That's feeling less resourced. So it's also just good to like check in with yourself and notice around a given need or a given situation. You know, are we feeling resourced? Are we not feeling resourced? 
morning when we're not feeling resourced and also what can we do to try to get those needs met and try to operate from a place where we are more resourced. And one of the issues that I'm still grappling with around using NVC is it doesn't really acknowledge the fact that the basic theory doesn't necessarily fully acknowledge the fact that some of us are born into situations where a lot more of our needs are going to be met. I am doing some part-time long-distance work with some people who are refugees in northern Uganda during work in refugee camps and they're South Sudanese refugees and there are actually some needs that might be really joyfully met in those situations but there are also a lot of needs like I think where I live and my my life I have my need for safety met a lot more easily than a lot of people living in a refugee camp might have their need for safety met and I feel sad about that and sometimes like NBC might give us language to speak about that but it doesn't automatically equalize. You know, it doesn't necessarily, just speaking in ways that acknowledge our needs doesn't necessarily automatically lead us to more equality and justice in the world. And that's something that I think a lot of NVC practitioners today, there are people wrestling with that. I think of myself as one of them. So then how do we do the things that lead to more equality and fairness in the world? And how do we use NVC in those? How do we bring them together? So that's a question worth exploring in my life, at least. Yeah, so we're not presenting this as some kind of panacea. It doesn't answer all of the world's questions. Yeah. I think it does get us closer to being able to discuss the issues in a way that might lead to more answers. I found that a lot of the sticking points are no longer there in the discussion. I find it beautiful that you said that, and I'm thinking about a Tom Paxton song that I really like called Peace Will Come, and it says, peace will come, let it begin with me. So I think about this ripple effect, like if we're able to hold more of a balance within ourselves where we're caring for ourselves and those around us gently using NVC, I really think that ripples out, you know, and that gives us and those around us more of an internal peaceful state from which to work on the big problems that face us as a whole in society. It gives us a good chance, a good a good non-fighting chance or a good gently fighting chance. The workshop folks that I took with Claire Bates back a year and a half ago introduced me not only to some more ideas, some more depth of nonviolent communication, which I'd experienced a couple years earlier already in a, a workshop, but it introduced me to a number of exercises to look at various facets and parts of this. So there's, of course, no way in a 55-minute program that we're going to give you the full depth of what a week-long NVC workshop is like. But there quite likely is somewhere near you such workshops and trainings going on. And if you go to the website, cnvc.org, and that's short for Center for Nonviolent Communication, cnvc.org, you'll be able to connect up with local resources to do that kind of training. There's one thing that I thought of, Claire, as you were speaking that just seems real important to me. Some people might think that NVC and buying into this whole compassion thing is specifically, it's a religious view or worldview of a limited point of view. That is to say, maybe that would not be a Baptist point of view, or maybe it would, because you mentioned Buddhist, and maybe it would be Buddhist and wouldn't be Christian or Jewish or Muslim or Shinto or, or whatever, Native American. Is there any layer of, uh, I guess, specific religious or worldview morality that seems to be limited, tied to those who support NVC? 
think it goes really broadly across a wide variety of religious backgrounds. It goes really well with my own Quaker philosophy of there being that of God in everyone, because with NBC, you're really looking for that. You're trusting that people's behavior and speech, even when we don't like some of the impacts of it, we're trusting that it comes from a place of they are trying at some level to meet their needs or to meet others' needs. So we're trusting that. We're trusting something in people. One of the things that's sometimes hard for people in squaring nonviolent communication with religious beliefs is that it sort of detaches you from a sense of right and wrong. Like, if we're viewing everyone as trying to get their needs met, and that some strategies just do that in a more harmonious manner than others, and some do it in the manner where maybe that one person is getting their needs met, but lots of other people are having their needs not met very well because of the strategy the first person is using, we've kind of stripped that of connotations of evil and good. And I think that's something that a lot of people have to wrestle with how they would want to integrate nonviolent communication with their view of life ethically and religiously. I guess I ultimately see it as being a tool toward goals that I think are celebrated by most religious paths, like being able to be more open to other people and loving each other more and working for peace. You know, Claire, it's certainly one of the ideas that occurred to me. And from what you just said, you know, it's like, I've got this right and wrong in the world, and if I use nonviolent communication, I don't get to say what I think is right or wrong. I don't know if that's exactly true, but it was one of my fears. How do you interact with that idea? I have been thinking throughout this interview, just kind of wanting to share this aspect of using nonviolent communication to express what's true for you in your experience in ways that others can hear. And then if we think about creating the future as kind of a community project, that needs to draw on each of our experiences. Nonviolent communication is a really useful tool for that. You know, we haven't got a lot of time left, Claire, and I, I really feel frustrated because I think there's so many riches available through nonviolent communication and insights that I saw you share in the workshop that I took with you. Are there other things that you'd care to make sure that people hear before we have to sign off? Yeah, something I've been thinking about is just the benefit of nonviolent communication as a way to hear each other speak our truths and to be able to speak our truths ourselves. And I think there are a lot of potentially challenges in our society that where we could use some change and growth. And I feel hopeful when I think about using nonviolent communication to speak and to hear each other. If people can speak about the experiences from their past that have been painful for them, and if those hearing can use nonviolent communication to hear that more clearly and more fully with their hearts, or if we, in learning nonviolent communication, can learn to speak about what we care about in the world and what we want to see change and our goals and dreams and do that in ways where people are less likely to get triggered around us and more likely to hear us, I think I feel even joyful about, you know, there's a better sense that we can work together to create a world that meets more of people's needs. There's this Yoko Ono quote that I really like that says, yeah, I'm not sure I'm going to get the wording quite right, but a dream we dream by ourselves is just a dream, and a dream we dream together is reality. So the idea of dreaming together and, and really listening to what matters to each other really fully, really hearing that through NBC is one of the things that gives me hope. Well, I don't want to rain on your parade exactly, but I'm sure there's a lot of <laughs> listeners here who are very aware of the difficulty of communication these days. Uh, certainly, there's a left and a right or a Trump and non-Trump or whatever type communication that many people experience as, I, I think they're not being heard, they're not trusting 
does NVC have any role to play in that kind of communications? Have you actually had it be successful in some way? Yeah, I mean, I want to speak from my own experience. I started learning nonviolent communication in 2013 and sharing it in the years after that. And one of the things that people often say to me is that they experience me as very open and non-judgmental. That gives them a sense that they can talk to me about things. And this is people from a variety of different backgrounds. They might say to me, well, I cannot imagine you judging me or I can't imagine that you would respond you know, hatefully to me. So I see that as something I'm really grateful about that I think ties into nonviolent communication because like I shared at the beginning of the show, I used to have this fear that was so looming so large in my mind and my inner experience about other people as a source of judgment and rejection. And that was really forefront in my head when I was engaging with people. So I don't think at that time in my life that what people were really experiencing from me was this sense of love and openness and care. So I think Rather than focusing on any one specific conversation, I want to say like through cultivating this heart-centeredness, this desire to listen to what's deeply important for myself and others, I'm experiencing that people are saying they don't experience judgment from me. And I I hope that that makes them more willing to share their opinions and views. So I think that that is a possibility open to many people that we could try to be sort of softer landing places for anybody who's trying to share anything with us one way or another, just to try to hear it with care and tenderness. And that in and of itself will be a step forward for the world. With each person that it happens with, when the communication gets better, if we respect, make that larger sense of family, then I think there is a better likelihood that we'll get our needs met, all of us, as we move in that direction. You know, I really do feel insufficient to address the really wide topic of nonviolent communication. So, folks, if this has intrigued you, I encourage you to take part in training, workshop. Uh, Certainly, you can search out more information on the website cnvc.org, which is for the Center for Nonviolent Communication. The link is on northernspiritradio.org. We're going to have Claire Bates back in the near future for my Song of the Soul program, sharing more of her music. So we'll look forward to that when it's possible, Claire. But in the meantime, I thank you so much for being a healing presence for the world. For the people over in Uganda, in California where we're working, you've clearly brought your compassion to the world and given yourself the gift of compassion and helped share it with others in a way that I think is transforming for the world world. And it just makes me so happy to talk to you. And I thank you for joining me today for Spirit in Action. Thank you, Mark. And I consider myself the recipient of a lot of loving tenderness and nonviolent awareness from other people as well. So I think we're in it together. You know, we're, we're each learning from each other in this regard. And thank you so much for welcoming me. It's a pleasure to be on your show. And so, as I said again, folks, we'll have Claire Bates back for my Song of the Soul program in the not-too-distant future. In the meantime, go to cnvc.org to follow up more information about nonviolent communication. My appreciation also to Andrew Jansen for production assistance on today's program, and we'll see you next week for Spirit in Action. The theme music for this program is Turning of the World, performed by Sarah Thompson. Check out all things Spirit in Action on northernspiritradio.org. 
guests, links, stations, and a place for your feedback, suggestions, and support. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Helpsmeet, and I hope you find deep roots to support you to grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action. With every voice, with every song, 